Glad you're joining us this morning, whether it's the first time or many number of times. It's good to see you this morning. I don't know what they told you on the way in from the door when you walked in, but you're a good looking crew this morning, right? Believe it, believe it. This summer is filled with quite a lot of transition for my family, for this church community. Uh, we're going to be saying goodbye to Pastor Semu next week. He's going to be taking the pulpit. Here's the thing. Uh, this, this summer in particular has been one that I've been praying a lot about. There's been a lot of planning that's gone into. And there's a lot of people are asking, hey, what's next for Elevate? What's next for Young Adult Ministries? Where are we going to go from here? Well, this coming week, my wife and I are getting away on, uh, on a vacation, meeting some friends up in Montana, seeing some beautiful countryside. So next week, Pastor Semu will be with you. And then August 13, I'll be back with you. I'll be in the new lead pastor role here at the church. We're working hard to identify the next young adult pastor, the next pastor that will take on Elevate. We've got some interviews scheduled coming up. Excited for the possibilities and looking forward to see where God will lead. But in the interim, as I talked with our lead team, really wanted to provide some consistency. So it's not like Michael leaves and it's like, Elevate can go sail off into the sunset and we continue on other places. No, 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 Elevate's near and dear to my heart and want to continue to provide uh, for this community. So my collaboration with the Elevate lead team uh, will be kind of joining our sermon series between the, the worship services, maybe bringing in some guest speakers and some panels and that type of thing. But want to make sure that you are well cared for while we transition this summer. So that's what's coming up. School years are almost upon us. I know teachers are going back this next week for uh, our church schools. I see some university students. They're back in the house getting ready for the school year coming up. I'm glad you're here this morning. And today we're going to be finishing up a series called Hello, My Name Is. It's Jesus' introduction to who he is in the Gospels, or in the Gospel of John. And today we move on from the Gospel of John, but we don't leave the author. We're going to be in the book of Revelation. So if you got your Bibles, you can start turning to the book of Revelation. We'll be in chapter 1. And as we kind of warm up to our time in Scripture this morning, I got Slido for you. All right, let's go ahead and put the first one up on the screen. Those of you that have been with us this summer, and even if you're just joining us today, I'm curious, what introduction to Jesus do you resonate with the most? We've been introduced to Jesus as the bread of life, the light of the world, the door, the good shepherd, resurrection and life, the true vine, the one speaking, the I am before Abraham was. I'm just curious this morning in our representation, which introduction you resonate with the most? Which way has Jesus introduced himself to you that you appreciate out of that illustrious lineup? Got about 65 coming in, 72, we're jumping up. The good shepherd and the way, the truth, and the life and the light of the world are pretty close to tide, hanging out at 20, 25, 23, 22%. Wow, even, some of you are changing your answers around to kind of mess with it. I know, I know, I know how that works. All right, light of the world has jumped up to the top, and then the good shepherd, and then the way, the truth, and the life, and so on and so forth from there. About 100 people join in. Sweet. That's just cool. I was just curious. I don't, this isn't leading us anywhere. I was just curious to take a segment this morning of our community and see where we're at. And you, you all, majority resonate with the light of the world, and then on from there. Fantastic. Here's the next one for you. I've experienced... Moments of true praise and worship in my life. There's been a moment where everything just kind of seems to fade away and you and God, whether it's corporately or privately, have been in a moment of true 
praise and worship. Let's see. Majority of us have about 92%. That's fantastic. And 80% of us say, maybe, maybe I've experienced that. I don't know if I've gotten there yet. I appreciate your response. Next one on the screen. The peace of God is found in the grace of God. The peace of God is found in the grace of God. I'm curious of your thoughts on that. Right off the bat, yes jumps up, a majority. That was a low ball one, right? We're just, we're making it easy this morning. Yes, the peace of God can be found in the grace of God. And we're gonna explore that this morning as well. Here we go. The Father and the Spirit were just as involved as Jesus was in the salvation of the world. The Father and the Spirit were just as involved as Jesus was in the salvation of the world. The answers climb up. We're at 99%. Could it be in the divided world that we live in that this group of people is almost unanimous on a question? I believe so. Yes, the Father and the Spirit were as involved as Jesus was in the salvation of the world, and we'll explore that this morning as well. Last one. True praise is grounded in good theology. True praise is grounded in good theology. What once was a unified room has now become instantly divided. Mwahahaha. Most everybody in it. 45% of you are a little bit trepidatious on this, right? What is true praise? We probably have to define that. And then what is good theology? We probably have to define that as well. So kudos to y'all who are sticking in the middle of the road. Maybe, depending on our definition of true praise and our definition of good theology, And uh, we're kind of split on the yes and no's on that. We're going to explore that as well this morning. So thank you for leaning in with Slido. I enjoy it. We took a couple weeks break, but we're back. And it's good to get to know you a little bit this morning as we begin. Revelation chapter 1. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me there. Revelation chapter 1. And as we open up scripture, let's talk to Jesus for a moment. Ask him to sit down beside us. Father in heaven, thank you for today. Thank you for Sabbath and for rest. As we come in today, God, there's a lot that's been on our plate this week. There's a lot of burdens that we carry. And God, we're here. We're thankful. Jesus, would you sit down beside us? Would you introduce yourself to us once more? And may we become acquainted. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We've been spending this entire summer in the Gospel of John, introduced to Jesus over and over and over again. And we have squeezed the Gospel of John for all that it's worth. You know, you're, you're doing the dishes and you got the sponge on the sink and you're done with the dishes and you got to dry out the sponge and kind of leave it there for next time. That's what we've done for the gospel of John. But for the last message in this series, we move to the book of Revelation who was written by John and it holds some similar themes that are found in his gospel. So Revelation chapter one, we're gonna begin in verse four. We're skipping that introductory part. We've gotta get to the meat and bones of what we're dealing with today. Revelation chapter one, verse four. By the way, I love the book of Revelation. A lot of, uh, a, a lot of Christianity has painted the book of Revelation as very scary. A lot of beasts and a lot of random things that kind of don't seem to make sense and somebody claims that they do and another person claims that they do and by the time you get to the end of it, there's a hundred different opinions over one text and it's like, where do I go? Here's the key to the book of Revelation. If you come to the book of Revelation and you read it and you come away with it without having been exposed to Jesus, then you're reading the book of Revelation wrong. 
because the book of Revelation is the revealing of who Jesus is. And John talks about this in this letter. He says, verse four, this letter is from John. We know him. We got to meet his writing style in the gospel of John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. There were a group of seven churches. This letter is being disseminated to them. And he says this, grace and peace to you from the one who is, who always was, and who still is to come from the sevenfold spirit before his throne and from Jesus Christ. John makes an introduction here. And it's the standard greeting that we find a lot of times in, in the epistles in the New Testament. It was what Christians would use to greet one another, grace and peace. And it had origins in the Greek understanding of uh, the word in, in Greek for grace is a term of, of greetings. You would say, greetings, hello. In Texas, we say, howdy, right? Well, some of us do. If John were to write this from Texas to Texans, he would have said, howdy, y'all. Grace and peace to all y'all, the churches in Texas. It's a term of endearment. It's a space that says, I'm wishing grace and I'm wishing peace on you as I share this. And by the way, this grace and peace is not just from me, but check out who supplies it. It's supplied by the eternal father, the one who was and who is and is still yet to come. It's from the Holy Spirit or the sevenfold spirits. And there's some crazy interpretations on this passage, but I think the one that I land on and the one that uh, scholarship really appreciates is that the sevenfold spirit, the reason the Holy Spirit is described as the sevenfold spirit is to talk about its fullness and its completeness as it ministers to the seven churches. And then Jesus Christ, the Messiah, is there. The Godhead shows up in these opening verses of Revelation. And the question that I, I had in my mind as I was reading this passage this week is how often do you, how often do I, how often do we long for grace and for peace. That we wish that our world was a little bit more gracious with one another. That our world is filled with just a little bit more peace. And then the follow-up question to that, if I'm longing for grace and peace, how often do I extend grace and peace to those around me? God's willing to do it for humanity. He's willing to extend grace and peace and, and, and share his heart. God is offering this grace and peace. And in some ways, we get to experience that peace of God because of the grace of God. Because of God's grace, we enjoy God's peace. One of the reasons I've found, particularly in Christianity and perhaps in the world at large, is that when we lack peace in our lives and things are a little bit unsettled, we don't have a full understanding of the grace of God and how the grace and the heart of Jesus tr can transform our lives and how the grace and the heart of Jesus can transform the lives of the people, even the ones sitting next to us. And I encourage you, if you're lacking a little bit of peace in your life this week or this month or this year, it's time to taste afresh God's grace. Maybe you feel there's something in your life that's been insurmountable, something that you can't overcome, something the world tells you that, ah, you're not gonna make it. Something the church says, ah, you need to fix that before you show up. Taste afresh of the grace of God. To let his unceasing rhythms of grace wash over you and allow his peace 
to transform you. That's the message from the Godhead. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Grace and peace to you. And the verse continues, Revelation chapter 1, verse 5. Speaking of Jesus now, he, John's given the introduction to the Godhead in particular, but he spends a few more moments on Jesus because remember, revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so if John weren't to reveal Jesus Christ, then he's missed the point. He describes Jesus as the faithful witness of these things, the first to raise from the dead and the ruler of all the kings of the world. Jesus is the fulfillment of hope and promise. He's been written about in the Old Testament and talked about for centuries. And John says, this is how I would describe Jesus. The faithful witness, the first to rise from the dead and the ruler of all the kings of the world. And the question that's been baking in the back of our minds throughout this whole series is who is Jesus? And what does he have to offer? Jesus sits down and gives an introduction. Who is he? What Messiah are we looking for? What kind of Jesus are we looking for? We come to the table with a presupposition about who Jesus is, and John takes a baseball bat to that. Describes Jesus as the, the faithful witness. This is connected to Jesus' prophetic office, that he was able to, to utter words that would become true he came to earth to tell humanity about God and the plan of salvation. And John says, those words that he shared are faithful and true. He is a faithful witness, describing the plan of salvation and the relationship that God the Father wants with the, wants with the entire world. I remember a couple years ago in high school, uh, we, were, we were on a trip and there was a, two cars that were caravanning together and through a series of unfortunate events that involved some rain and some not so good brakes, one of the cars that was in our caravan rear-ended the other car that was in the caravan. Wasn't too great. Nobody was hurt, it was pretty low speed, but we were right on an exit and we pull off to uh, a, a gas station. And, you know, you got to be on the phone with the police because you got to do the report for insurance, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And as the police officer was trying to figure out what had happened, he took each and every one of us that was inside of that van that rear-ended the other and invited us into his police car. Not in the back seat, but in the front seat because it was raining. And we got to give a statement about what happened and to describe the reality of our experience throughout that car crash. And I remember jumping into the, the, the police car, and it's pretty cool, you know, got all the bells and whistles and everything else. And he begins to ask questions. He said, okay, uh, about what time did this happen? Okay, what seat were you in? Uh, what happened from your perspective? Were the people around you wearing seat belts? Mm, yeah, they were. I was too. And I began to describe as best as I could my witness to what had transpired. And in the same way that I try to do due diligence and describe events as they actually happen so that the police could have a thorough report, that's what Jesus has done for humanity. He's come to this earth and described the plan of salvation and the character of God to the best of his ability and being faithful to the witness that he holds. Jesus can be trusted because of his faithful witness. John will go on to describe him as the first to raise from the dead. 
And if you're a scholar of the Bible or just history in and of itself, you know that Jesus isn't the first literal person to be raised from the dead. Moses was raised from the dead. Elijah, Elisha raised some people from the dead, all that. Jesus is not the first in history to be raised from the dead, but the first whose resurrection from death to life brings power to those who have died. Jesus in a way, is the first fruits of the new covenant. The first fruits of the promise of God of salvation for this world that a human can die but will have the opportunity for eternal life. That is found in Jesus. And in the same way that Jesus is a prophet, his, his witness is faithful, Jesus is a priest. And a priest at his core is someone who gives offerings to God. And who better than Jesus to hold the priestly office because he's not willing to just bring the lamb to the altar. He's willing to lay himself on the altar for the salvation of the world. Jesus, being the first to rise from the dead, fulfills his priestly duty. And he even now is before the Father on our behalf, interceding through the power of the Holy Spirit, holding back the winds of strife in our life because of what he accomplished 2,000 years ago. In Jesus, the first to rise from the dead, we can have confidence that we too one day will see our loved ones raised. And if we taste the sleep of death, we too will be afforded that opportunity. Jesus is prophet, he's king, or he's priest, and now John describes him as a king. He's the ruler of all the kings of the world. Remember the end of Matthew, Jesus stands up before his disciples and gives them the great commission and says, here's what I'm wanting you to do. And by the way, all power and authority has been given to me. Satan was the one who formerly had all the power and authority on this earth. You see that in the book of Job. You see that in the beginning of Matthew, Matthew 4, when, when Satan takes Jesus to the top of the, the mountain, and he says, look, I'll give you all of this land. And Jesus not, does not call into question Satan's ability to give Jesus that land. But he says, that's not for me. I'm not going to do it that way. Jesus is the ruler of all the kings of the world. In his death and resurrection, he reclaimed that ruling authority, not only for our lives, but for the world as it is formed today. And I think we would do well to ask ourselves the question, who are we allegiant to in this world that we live? We would do well to evaluate our allegiances during these times. You see, no ruler or authority, government or principality can lay claim to this world in the way that Jesus does. He is the ruler of this world. And so a world where we see increased division, both ideologically, politically, religiously, non-religiously, who will we align ourselves with? If history is a repeater of itself, we see governments rise and fall but the one who reigns supreme over them all is Jesus himself. Who holds your allegiance? Who holds your, your highest respect? The one that you will follow no matter what happens in this world. And in John, as he, as he summarizes who Jesus is 
in this gospel. He calls him prophet, calls him priest, and calls him king. He's echoing what the psalmist knew many years before Jesus arrived on the scene. Psalm 87, verses 27 and 37. Put Psalm 89, or 89, 27, I'm sorry. The God speaking through the psalmist says, I will make him my firstborn son, first to rise from the dead, the first begotten, the mightiest king on earth. And then verse 37, it will be as eternal as the moon, my faithful witness in the sky. John right here in this book of Revelation opens up for us the surety that Jesus is the person that he claims to be. He is the one the one that we can trust, the one that has sacrificed himself for us and the one who we can put our allegiance in and know that he will govern well. And John is doing a lot of theology here. He's talking about who Jesus is and who Jesus is is connected to what Jesus did. And this moment for John is one of worship and praise because he comes down to the end of describing Jesus. And we've got to go back to Revelation 1 verse 5 to finish out that verse. Revelation 1 5 on the screen. After he finishes the description of Jesus, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the rulers of the king of the world, he says, all glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. And then verse 6. He has made us the kingdom of priests for God, his Father. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. This is a worship moment for John. Now, I know you relate to this, but maybe you don't find it when you're writing your term papers or that uh, project that you've been working on at work. But I know that you've tasted some really, really good food. You ever had just a kind of a worship experience when you've had some good food? The flavors hit your taste buds and you are physically pushed back from the table because that was good. If it was tacos or if it was pasta or like whatever fits your fancy curry. I don't know, I really like curry. There's some good curry around here. You've had that moment where you've just been, this is amazing. I don't know what this person did, but the flavors as they combine, this is, this is, oh, this is good. And play the organ, do the appeal. We can have church. That's John in this moment, but not over a plate of really good pad thai, but over who Jesus is. It says all glory to him, all glory to Jesus. Because he's loved us, he's freed us, and then he's made us a kingdom of priests. And I think that's really beautiful, really compact view of the gospel. That Jesus' love for us compelled him to free us from sin. And that freedom from sin brings us into a kingdom, not a kingdom that's filled with kings and queens and warriors, but a kingdom of priests. And by the way, that kingdom of priests, when you are a priest, you have access to God. Jesus says, you don't have to go to another human anymore to access my presence. You can come before me directly by yourself you don't need anybody else. Yeah, community is important. Let's come together and do it as a community. But you today have access to God because you are a priest in his kingdom. Male or female, black or white, and the list goes on and on and on. You are included in this kingdom of priests. 
You see, John doing good theology leads to unrestrained praise. If how we do theology does not lead us to a moment where we're saying, God, our glory to you, glory to you in the heavens because of what you've done in my life. If our theology leads us to hate one another, if it leads us to othering someone else, if it leads us to shunning other people, good theology will lead you to unrestrained praise. You will be in a moment where you're like, I get it. God is so good. Yeah, the world might be terrible, but God is good. And I think all theology that we should do should lead us back to the goodness of God. I think about Mike Tucker, who is our interim senior pastor for the past few months. Got to sit at his feet as we're making leadership transitions and just pick his brain on a lot of stuff. And one thing I really, really appreciated about Mike as I got to know him is his ability to enter into unrestrained praise. There was a couple weeks ago in another one of our worship services that he had a, a, a trio that was going to sing after a message and Melissa and I are sitting up in the balcony and uh, they, he preaches his heart out and the, the trio sings their song and he comes back out and he says, we're going to sing that one more time. And the trio's like, that, that's us? We're going we're gonna to do that? He says, yeah, we're going to do it one more time. And he gives another appeal and he walks back over into this corner. He's kind of hidden by the organ for the view of the, most of the congregation. But from the balcony I could see. And his heart was just poured out before the goodness of God. And in unrestrained praise, a retired pastor over there, hand lifted up, tears weeping. I said, yes, that's it. That's the picture of the gospel in our lives, that we can encounter moments that God is so good that all that we can do, we can barely hold ourselves back from a a, a moment of praise and worship where our hearts are rended before God. God, you're good. You're faithful, you love us, you've freed us, and you've made us a kingdom of priests. God, you're good. God, you're so very good. And then there's a vision. Revelation 1, verse 7. Look, he comes with the clouds of heaven, and everyone who sees him, even those who pierced him, and all the nations of the world will mourn for him. Yes, amen. This vision of the goodness of Jesus now shifts. John says, it's, yeah, it was really good that we got to see him when Jesus came the first time. And I wrote a whole book about that. But mark this down. Jesus is coming back again. And this good God that he has described, the one who is faithful, the one who is, is, is a king of this world, says that person, he's coming back. So yeah, you can read about him, you can get to know him here and now, but Jesus is coming back. And John finishes it with a signature from Jesus himself because he has to amend the document. He's got he's to notarize it right here and it's not just enough to say yes, yes, amen, it's all good. I, John, write these words. No, Jesus speaks, Revelation 1 verse 8. I am the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end, says the Lord God. I am the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come, the Almighty. That's Jesus. At the close of this statement of his soon return, he signs, seals, and delivers it. You can count on the words of Jesus. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega the first and the last letters of the Greek alphabet. 
I'm the beginning, I'm the end, and everything in between. All of the desires of your heart, everything that you, you, you find in life that, that's good and that you, you have a vision of, but you can't try quite figure out what the good life is or what the pursuit of happiness is. Jesus says, I'm everything. You name a desire, I've got the pure form for you. All of our hopes and desires can be found in Jesus. He's the Lord God Almighty, the one who is, who was, and is still yet to come. This, this morning, it's not too hard to remember this morning, maybe for some of us. Some days I'm like, what did I eat this morning? No, this morning, I was praying over this message and I'm, I'm, just, I'm thinking about transition this summer because in a lot of ways, this is the last time that I stand up and speak in the role of young adult pastor for Elevate. And I don't step out of this space uh, with, without a sense of just overwhelming appreciation for God. And I don't step out hating what I've been doing and loving what I've been doing for the past four years. And this, this community that we together have built, kind of this Trojan horse on the inside, the, this space that we come together and that we call family is near and dear for me. And I'm excited about the opportunity to support that from a different seat. Don't get me wrong. But there's an emotion that goes along with that, a bitter, a bittersweet See, some of you nodding along with that. You, you got me too, man. Excited for the future, but mourning what's happened just recently. Then I was praying this morning. I'm like, God, you're good and you're faithful. But I still have this sense, this feeling of like, I've been doing a good thing. I'm going to go on to a good thing, but it's bittersweet. And I felt Jesus sit down beside me and embrace me and whisper these words to me, I am what I offer. Jesus is what Jesus offers. And if I have one final word, I'll be back in a couple weeks, you know, like it's, it's kind of like, it's weird because this, it is a transition, but it's not, I'm still around, I'm not dying or going away or anything, I'm still here, but it's weird, okay? We'll just, We'll just embrace the weirdness together and everything will be good. But if I could offer one last word in this space, in this role, in this position, it would be these words, that Jesus is what Jesus offers. That his entire life was lived out so that you and I can experience salvation. That no matter where you come from or where you're going, you can experience a good God. Black or white, man or woman, gay or straight, trans or bi, it, wherever you come from, whatever your background has been, old or young in a position of power authority or a servant in this world, Jesus is what Jesus offers. And when we do theology like this, good theology, that'll lead us to unrestrained praise. And that will be the single greatest faithful witness in our community that God is a part of what we're doing. It's not by the people that we exclude, but by the people that we include. Where Jesus shows up and he says, everybody's got a seat at the table. Welcome home. There's always room for one more. Jesus is the embodiment of salvation. And he's on offer for you this morning. So I don't know where you're coming from today. I know a few of you, you know. I don't know what God's had on your heart, the, the burdens that you've carried. 
But I would offer to you today that Jesus is what Jesus offers. And maybe, just maybe, this introduction or reintroduction has been enough for you, and I think it is. Jesus, the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the one who is and who was and is still yet to come, is here with us today. He's waiting with open arms. So if it's your desire today, I no big appeal today other than to just re-accept Jesus or maybe accept him for the first time. That's your desire today as we've done some good theology and unpacked who Jesus is this summer. I'd invite you into unrestrained praise of Jesus, the one who is what he offers.